0: This morning, uh, I was, uh, did some, something with the kids with a banana costume, and uh, I asked them this question, and uh, I asked them, what proof would you need to believe that I once dressed as a banana for church? Those of you are new to the church uh, will find this hard to believe. Those who have been here around long enough would find it fairly easy to believe. And I gave them four options. This is the kids and everything, and I knew what they were going to go for. So I said, would you just need my word? And I said, stick your hands up if you just need my word. And I said, Do you, would you just need to hear somebody who was there said that it actually happened? Uh, or would you want a photo? Or would you wanna see it firsthand? Now I did this because I knew what was gonna happen. I knew that there would be some people who are good Christian folk who would say, all I need to know is that if you say it happened, it happened. And so some people stuck their hand up, but a few, especially kids, did not stick their hand up. And then I said, hands up, anybody who remembers it happening? Then there was a handful of people who remembered it happened. So I then asked the church this morning, uh, do you believe it happened? There's this fix over here, they saw it. Happen. By the way, does anybody remember that happening? Stick your hand up. About the same number as this morning. There was, uh, and then I said, well, what if you need a photo? And they said, yes, they need a photo. And this is the most horrendous photo. Because it looks like I've got no teeth. And uh, it looks like I am considerably older than I actually am. I do not know why Deb airbrushed out my teeth as some malicious thing to have done. The reason I did all of this is I knew there would be a group of kids who would not stick their hand up, who would not believe me because they wanted me to do it. Now, you're much more mature than that, so I had to dress up as a banana. And I faked and pretended that I was angry that they didn't believe me. But, of course, I knew that was the whole thing, that they wouldn't believe me. We're going to talk about doubt, and we're going to talk about Thomas, which is a familiar story. And I think that lots of us have a, 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 a perhaps... Um, the word doubt feels a very negative word. It feels like something we have but we shouldn't have. It feels like something that nobody else has but we have. And that the idea that I would encourage people to doubt me, to make me do it, just for a bit of fun, is that what Jesus was doing with Thomas? Could it possibly be that Jesus wants people to question. We're gonna try and explore that. But we have, among us, all of us, we have different relationships with the word doubt. I want to say this, and we'll maybe come back to this, but I want to say at this point, everybody doubts. And you know what, it's okay. And it may even be a good thing. And the people who don't doubt, in my view, are just so afraid of the possibility of doubt that they've pushed it to the bottom of their heart. I like this cartoon about Thomas. Uh, he says, all I'm saying is, we don't call Peter denying Peter or Mark runaway, naked Mark. Why should... You're going to have to find out about that story, aren't you? Why should I be saddled with this title? Do you consider Thomas to be a good guy or a bad guy? I think he's a hero. I'm not going to do quite the story I did with Judas, but I do think the people we sometimes feel are negative are actually positive. Does Jesus encourage doubt? So we're in John 20, and we've been looking at the resurrection over the last few weeks. Don't worry, I know it's not Easter, but who cares? We're looking at the resurrection and how Jesus appears to Mary. And uh, we talked a couple of weeks ago, three or four weeks ago about how do we know the voice of God in, in the midst of anguish? And we talked about the way Jesus says her name in her distress is what gives her an understanding that it's Jesus. And then last week, we looked at Jesus wanting to bring peace. He wanting to bring confidence. He wanting people to be... um, have hope in their hearts. And all of those are available on our YouTube channel. You can find that through our website or you can uh, listen to podcasts wherever you subscribe. We're gonna pick it up then at verse 24. Now, Thomas was also known as Didymus. And uh, I always made a joke about Didymus. Didymus, I used to think was a little man who lived in knotty ash And over the years, that just got less and less funny because half of you have no idea what that's about. You just need to ask an older person who Ken Dodd was. But anyway, Didymus doesn't mean that, it means twin. So if you're a twin, you are Didymus. Um, So just, which is great. I think it's a great word for a twin, Didymus. Uh, It's the Greek word for twin. Anyway, Thomas was a twin. And he was not with the disciples last week. When we looked at Jesus appearing and saying, Peace, and saying, As the Father has sent me, so I send you. As we looked at that last week, Thomas wasn't there. He wasn't there. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. Now, if you came to me, and you, I mean, I've done a number of funerals over the last um, Two months. I've been on average one a week for various reasons. The number of funerals. If you came to me and said, I have just seen whoever it is. I've just seen your mother, Donald, and she's alive. I won't believe you. I will doubt you. And I would say, I don't care how convinced you are that you've seen somebody who I've just buried. I don't believe it. So what Thomas is about to say is this the response of a sensible person. It's the response that I would make. He says, unless I see the nail hands in his hands and put my finger, unless I physically touch this person that I know it's not an illusion, it's not a drug-induced fantasy, that's not your grief speaking, it's not just a feeling that lots of us have when people have died and we sense they're there with us because they leave a memory. He says, "Unless I actually physically touch, feel him, I will not believe." How is he a hero? Or is he not a very good believer or? I want to suggest, as you've already picked up, that I think he's a hero. And I think Jesus affirms him in this. One of the things we need to talk about is what doubt is and the fact that there are a range of different things that we would call doubt. And there are different responses for each of those things. So I want to explore for a few minutes doubts and the different doubts that we have. And we'll start at the foundational level. So the first doubt that we may or may not have is whether God exists. And some of us will be struggling with that. And some of us will know people who just can't get beyond that step. They say, I'd love to have your faith. I just can't believe that there is a God. And some of us will have moments where it's utterly obvious there's a God. And then something happens and we go, is there a God? Have I imagined all of this? Some of us will find it very easy to believe there's a God, and we truthfully would say, I've never doubted that. Others of us cling to it with our fingernails. For me, the most significant thing is nature and the creation of life. Human beings with all the skills and all the technology and everything we ever invent or create or God gives us, we will never be able to create life without life. I don't want to go into the birds and bees with you, but you cannot create life without somebody else who is already living. You can't take things that are inanimate and dead and bring life out of them. It is impossible. No scientist has ever been able to do that. Life has to create life, which creates that great problem, and where on earth did we come from? Because I know that I'm alive. I'm not sure about some of you, but I know I'm alive. There is something that created me. Now you can either say once upon a time there was some kind of force that happened to appear and explode, and that that force generated remarkably once in, a, in, in the whole of history of time, life. And it happened to be so clever and so beautifully designed that the, as I look out in the trees and you see nature and you see the beauty and you see the wonder. If you ever, you know, some of you do Alpha, you know my thing about the woodpecker and the amazing things about that, all of that stuff. I find it much easier to believe that we're designed and there's a creator. So lots of us will have doubted or know people who doubt whether God exists, and we need to look at the evidence, and the evidence is our heartbeat. Where did it come from? But it's good to ask the question, because that's, way we, that's the way we learn. And if any of you have doubted the existence of God and have gone in and looked at the intricacies of creation and the wonders of science, you will find that it strengthened your faith. Now actually doubting whether God exists tends to lead to a far stronger faith in him existing. Voltaire said this, judge a man by his questions rather than his answers. And I think one of the most important questions that you and I as people of faith need to ask is to doubt whether we have heard God correctly. And we're a broad church, a range of different perspectives, and there are some among us who use the language of hearing God speak to us very freely and comfortably. And then there are others who find that language difficult to understand and and don't feel confident to say that we've heard God. And yet we also make decisions on the basis that we think we're doing the right thing. However you wanna package that language, questioning whether what we think is what God is saying is a vital question. It is a vital doubt. Have I heard God correctly? Is this the right thing for me to do? And so I think that we should ask that of ourselves all the time. Have I heard, am I hearing God correctly? And I believe that the way God wants to uh, reveal that is to say things in different formats, in different ways, through scripture, through a thought or a feeling, through something being said in church, through somebody saying something perhaps prophetically, through us reading something, through us seeing something, through an opportunity closing, through an opportunity opening. But we need to build a package of God speaking. So if you think God has spoken, you are not faithless to say, do you mind saying that again, God, a different way? It's a good thing to do. And so uh, this guy, he says, the vulnerability of your sermon inspires me to share my own doubts about the depths of your faith. When we want people to be certain and tell us clearly, without doubt, what God is saying, there is a problem. You need to doubt me. And actually, the person who says, I'm not sure whether this is what God is saying, but this is what I think, is far more reliable. So we need to doubt that we've heard God rightly. It's important to test. So that's a different kind of doubt, but it's an important thing to do. And then leading on to that is the question, well, are other people right? The people who teach us, the politicians who lead us with certainty, the sermons we hear, the things we read on the internet, are they right? Charlie Brown says i am here to give you reassurance that everything is all right and Snoopy says i was afraid of that Do you know we have learnt over the last 5 years in our particular country that leaders and people who are certain of things are usually wrong And that's been the way of humanity. Bertrand Russell said, probably around 100 years ago, it is one of the unfortunate things of our time that those who are stupid are confident. Because they can't imagine that there's any alternative. But those who have imagination or understanding full of doubt and indecision, can I encourage you not to trust the certain? Can I encourage you to question? Can I encourage you to check out me any preacher, any leader. The only thing I'm sure is that you can't trust people who are sure of everything. And so when we're talking about doubt, there is, I think, a biblical injective to doubt. Doubt that other people are right. Doubt that what is said on social media is right. Doubt that that influencer is right. Doubt it, question it, and check. Another doubt might be as to whether scripture is, scripture is reliable, whether we can trust what the Bible says. You may have heard me say before, when I trained uh, theologically, I went to Bible college um, too long ago, quite a long time ago, one of the things that was done quite deliberately by the course that I was on uh, was to deconstruct all our certainties and our presuppositions and our naive faith. So the first year was spent uh, trying to convince us that the Bible was inaccurate and full of errors. And that was a difficult but really helpful process. And I came to a conclusion that I was utterly convinced that there was a God because of creation. I came to the conclusion that I was utterly convinced that Jesus was that God, because the evidence that Jesus existed is beyond doubt in my mind. It's hugely more reliable than any other figure in history uh, up until the last 100 years, that there was a man called Jesus, that he did die, and that his followers believe he rose again. And the only explanation for us talking about him 2,000 years later, the best explanation is that he rose from the dead. So I came to a point of being convinced there was a God and convinced that Jesus was that God. makes utter logical sense to me. So the third question was, did Jesus ascend to heaven and say to the angels, I've died, I've risen, they're going to write it down. And the angels say to you are you going to just check that they write the right thing down? He goes, oh, yeah, no, I forgot to check they were going to write the right thing down. And the God is in heaven going, why on earth did they say love your neighbour? Oh, man, why did they put turn the other cheek? Why did they put be merciful and gracious? And I came to a point of going, there are bits of the Bible that I don't understand. There are bits of the Bible I struggle with and I don't like. But it makes more sense that it is authoritative than that humans are authoritative. And we only have to look at the news, we only have to look at what's going on in Russia in the last 48 hours to know that fundamentally people are not reliable. So I came to the point, having studied and tested, that I choose to trust Scripture as my authority for living. And that leads on to a doubt that many, many of us will hear, have experienced, or are experiencing, and it is the doubt as to whether God loves us. And some of us are able to say to other people, yes, I believe God loves you, but inside we struggle to receive it for ourselves. Because perhaps we've been bruised and battered by what other people have told us about ourselves. Perhaps from the very moment we were born, we have felt rejection, felt condemnation, felt rebuke. Perhaps we have made huge mistakes that we are deeply regretful of and aware of, and we just feel unlovable. And there are many, many, many of us who feel that. And so we doubt whether God loves us. And I believe that God doesn't want us to doubt that, not because it's sinful and wrong, and oh no, not only do I not feel I love him, but I'm, I'm doing something wrong by not thinking that he loves me, and we go in the spiral of shame and, and accusation and, and, and guilt. He doesn't say I don't want you to do this because he's cross, but because he's sad because he longs for us to know the assurance that we are precious and significant and worth him dying. That he has come to seek us, to save us, that he has come to find us. And that if we look at Jesus and the way he treats the most sinful, the most broken, the most difficult, we come away being convinced of a God who is gracious and compassionate, abounding in love and slow to anger. And so if we doubt that God loves us, I want to encourage us to study Jesus. I want us to look at who Jesus is. Another uh, Charlie Brown cartoon, It's stupid to just sit here and admire that little redhead girl from a distance. There's a continuous story that happens where Charlie Brown is in love with a little redhead girl, but he never talks to her because he's too afraid. He says, it's stupid not to get up and go over and talk to her. It's really stupid. It's just plain stupid. So why don't I go over and talk to her? He says, because I'm stupid. And we may feel that others have told us again and again and again that we're loved by an unfailing love. And that God is desiring that we would know him as Father. And because we're stupid, we find it hard to grasp. And we need to look at Jesus. And another doubt is that God's way for us is good. That what he's asking of us is going to be good for us to do. And so sometimes we actually need to just go beyond that doubt. And rather than stay in a place of paralysis where we don't move. And we don't ever do what we think God might be asking of us. Because we're fearful that it won't be as good as what we want to do. There are times when we need to step out. There are times when we need to say, I feel doubt, but I'm going to choose faith. I feel uncertain, but I've decided to trust scripture, and I've decided to trust that God is Jesus, and so I'm gonna step out. And it may be that there are times when we doubt whether God is really working, and there is brokenness and injustice and suffering and pain. And sometimes we choose faith and we choose waiting. We wait for what we can't see and we hope for what we can't prove. But because we've decided to trust scripture, we wait. So there are different kinds of doubts and they need different kinds of responses. Some of them are good doubts. Doubt whether you've heard God, doubt whether somebody else has heard God. Some of them are doubts that we need to work through. Work through your relationship with scripture. Work through your belief that God exists. And then there are some doubts that we need to fight through. Trust that you are loved. Trust that his way is good. Trust that he is at work. And we're going to discover that Jesus doesn't abandon Thomas, but gives him the proof he needs. A week later, his disciples were in the house again and Thomas was with them. A week later. It is a whole week. It's a long time. A week ago was a long time ago. Half of, most of you can't remember what happened last Sunday night. I dressed as a banana and most of you have forgotten. No, I didn't. But you think, why doesn't Jesus, the moment Thomas says, I don't believe, why doesn't Jesus turn up that minute we know that he's heard. We know that he can go through walls, it would appear, because he comes, and we will see in a moment, through some locked doors. He could have just come at that moment. Why does he wait? A whole week, a whole week with Thomas feeling different, excluded, doubting himself. Am I something wrong with me? Why are these people thinking that and I don't feel it? I'm not getting it, I'm not part of it. That Many of us have experienced a very painful position where we feel we're the odd one out. Here's Thomas stewing in it. Why on earth does God let him do that? It may be because waiting builds the significance of what is to happen. That which we wait for is all the more precious. The word "wait" is in the Bible a lot. Don't want to worry you. It's there. There's a lot of waiting. We wait for God. We wait for things to happen. And that builds a character, builds a godliness in us, it builds a Christ-like in us because it builds patience. And we all know about those people who, want, who get everything they want the minute they want it and how damaging that is to a child who grows up, who then becomes incapable of dealing with things not going the way they want. And we've used the word a lot in our a culture in the last few months called entitlement. Entitlement is when people are used to getting their own way and therefore they can't cope when they don't. And waiting breeds humility, not entitlement. And sometimes we need to embrace waiting. And not have an entitlement that God should do everything we want the minute we want it. So, a week later, the doors are still locked. They're still fearful. I found that interesting. Do you remember last week we talked about they were f- afraid, so they'd locked the doors? And here they are, still faithful. They've been told, they've seen, 11 of them have seen, Jesus. well, 10 of them, Judas is gone, and then there were nine, no, 10. 10 of them have seen Jesus. And they're still afraid. And we wonder why we haven't become perfect Christians overnight. Well, the disciples didn't. Faith takes time. The transformation that God is doing in our life takes time. It happens slowly. It took a few more weeks and was concluded at Pentecost. And Jesus waits for them. He doesn't rebuke them. You'll see that in a minute. And he's not kept out by the doors and the barriers that we put up and the things that we make say, God, you can't get at me. And our fear does not keep Jesus away from us. And so he comes and stood among them and he says, and I know you know what he says, at least you think you know what he says, but imagine he reading this for the first time. And I think our religiousness would make us that. And he came and he rebuked them and said, oh ye of little faith. Or he came and said, why have you locked the doors? What does he say? Peace. Do you remember? That's the third time now in this chapter, peace. I want you to be free from fear, free from guilt, free free from shame, free from condemnation, free from anxiety. I want you to be at peace. You know, it's okay that you've locked the doors, it's okay. And Jesus doesn't abandon Thomas but he gives him the proof that he needs. Notice, you know, we focus perhaps on the stop doubting and believe, and all of you will have sent a text or an email and somebody's misread it with a different voice to the voice you wrote it, and you meant it to be gentle and they've taken it to be sarcastic, you meant it to be funny and they've taken it to be passive aggressive, whatever passive aggressive means. I don't think stop doubting and believe, is stop doubting, believe. I think it's end the doubt, believe. Why do I think that? Because he does it after he's said, put your finger there. He doesn't say to Thomas, stop doubting and believe. How dare you? He says, this is what you needed. This is what you asked for. Do you know what? It's OK. Here, come. Feel me. Pinch me. I am alive. The request to believe comes after the evidence is given. It is not a rebuke, but it is encouragement. You see, God encourages us to test that that, that it's God that's doing that, that it's not somebody faking it. He encourages us to check is this really God. He encourages us when we hear something going on to say is this God. He encourages us to test that we have heard God correctly. It is a good thing to test, to weigh, to ask God to say it again through a different person or a different thing or a different scripture. That is good but it is not good to test whether God loves us, to test whether God will save us and to test whether God will do what we want. When Satan says to uh, Jesus, jump off this cliff or off this tower and the angels will save you, Jesus says, do not put the Lord your God to test. Why? Because he's saying, don't jump and expect God to rescue you. Don't make God do what you want him to do so that he has to save you. That's putting God to the test. And Thomas says to him, my Lord and my God, there is a response of faith. He says, my, he's saying, "This something that's moved now and I'm choosing this. I'm choosing you, Jesus, you are mine. You are in my life. I am choosing you as the one I love. He says, my Lord, meaning I'm choosing you to be the one I will be devoted to. You'll be the one I will serve. And he's choosing him as his God. He is saying, this you are God. You are the one who made me and you're the one who loves me. God doesn't take somebody else to die on the cross for us. He doesn't fashion and create some sort of hybrid human being to be his sacrifice. God takes our place. The Lord, Yahweh, I am, is on the cross. The one who loves us is the one who judges us. You see, that radically changes our perception of whether God loves us. That this person, Jesus, is divine means we're loved. And very often those who struggle with the concept of God loving them have separated the Father and the Son and we bring them back together. And Jesus told him, because you've seen me, you have been blessed. Blessed are those who have not seen me and yet have believed. That's you and I. Jesus speaking to us. We're blessed. It's harder for us because we haven't been able to pinch the flesh of Jesus. But when we know that we are loved, and when we know the way God wants us to live, which is to pray and to love, then we are blessed. And John concludes this chapter by saying Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of the disciples which are not recorded in this book, but these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Saviour, the Rescuer, the one who has come to set his people free, the one who loves us. It's written that we may know that, the story of Jesus that we may believe, that we may understand who God is, that we may believe that Jesus is God, that these stories are about God's interaction with us. And the one who dies is the one who made us, and the one who loves us is the one who judges us. And this is the true life giver. We're going to spend a few moments now uh, offering communion and uh, Joel and the band are going to come and join me and I want to put some questions on the screen and I want to encourage us to spend a few moments with God to remind ourselves that we are loved and we've got doubts about this and doubts about that and that's maybe okay but we're going to choose to believe that we're loved In a few moments, we're gonna play a piece of music from a song, and then after a verse or so, we're gonna start and and sing. We're gonna stand as we play that music. When we're standing, if you would like to go and pick up the communion, little bread, I've got a big one, but you can go over, a little one over there, a little tray of bread, a little tray of non-alcoholic juice, uh, and, and quietly as you're standing around the table, eat and drink. And want to encourage you to do that. I want to encourage you to receive the love of Jesus. Whatever your questions, whatever your doubts, I want to tell you Jesus has died for you. God has died for you. So I want to invite you to receive that. That's meaningful, helpful for you. If that's not quite where you are at, then don't worry, don't need to go over there. But as you go over there, just sort of Slightly behind the table will be two or three folks from our church who are offering to pray with anyone who would like that. It's not a requirement. It's not a necessity. It's just an invitation. If there is a particular prayer that you would like prayed with you, it may be to do with doubt. It may be that you don't want to say what it's about. You just want to say, will you pray for me? It may be actually something you've brought tonight that's of anxiety to you, and you just want someone to pray with you. So, and there's going to be some folks over there. If you need to wait and queue for them, that's fine. If you just want to be quiet and take your own bread and the wine, it's a, a bread and the cup, please just do that. It's just the offer of prayer for those that want it. And you may want to reflect on these questions What are the doubts that you need to have? What are the questions you need to ask of yourself about what you believe and what you've heard? And what are the doubts that you need to choose to set aside and say, No, I'm going to believe this? Whatever I feel, I'm going to commit to it. And have we chosen to believe Jesus as God, gracious and merciful? And have we chosen Jesus? as our Lord to be served.